Titus, it's going to be good. Um, so I want to pray for him, for us, and then we will play the video and Kevin and lead us from there. Father God, thank you for your word. And God, we thank you for, for writing a book and for, for revealing things to us that we would not have known otherwise. And so God, as we approach these next several minutes and we approach the time together where we open your word specifically, God, I pray that you'd give us ears to hear. That it wouldn't just be Kevin's voice that we would hear, but that it would also and ultimately be you that we hear speaking through him. And so, God, I pray that you would guard his, his words from error in the same way that every week I pray that you would guard mine. God, I pray that you would come and move in a special way. God, as we think about what your word says and what you have said to us through this letter written some thousand, couple thousand years ago, that we might be able to conclude at the end of this morning that we indeed have heard you speak and you have met with us. And as a result, we're different. So God, come change us. Come move in this place and in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Kevin? Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Again, and uh, thank you for the introduction, Pastor Tim. As he said, we're continuing with our study of Titus, in the third chapter, and that was just read for you, but I'm going to put it up here on the screen too. In case you want to follow along in the Pew Bible, it's on page 1859 in the Bibles that are in front of you. Um, and we're going to kind of look at three different positions that we have in response to authority in our life. Um, and the first one we're going to look at is in these first two verses here. And I'll go ahead and read them. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to be ready to do whatever's good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. It says up there, and always to be gentle toward everyone. There's different, different uh, translations that we deal with. Um, so if you like to take notes like I do, um, there's a little note sheet in your bulletin. Maybe some of you never even noticed it was there, but I use it. There's actually three sections, and that kind of works out. We're going to look at three S words. So if you're interested in the kind of person who likes to fill in blanks, you can put three S's, one S at the beginning of each little section there. The first one we're going to look at is subjection. This is our first response to authority. Um, and, and the statement I kind of wanted to, that I think our passage points to is that God uses earthly authorities to sustain and protect life. 
And not just here, but throughout the Bible, uh, we see lots of different examples about how we're to respond and how we're to submit to earthly authorities. Um, There's examples in the book of Genesis. Uh, God used Pharaoh, who is definitely not, you know, a godly man. He was a pagan king. But yet Joseph, who was a Jewish slave, was put in charge of all of Egypt under Pharaoh's direction. And I think, actually, if you kind of look around in our election season that we're going through right now in this election year, um, being subject to authority can kind of make us nervous. You know, you look at these people that are trying to be the leader of our country, and you're like, boy, I, I really am kind of nervous about what's going to be happening coming up. You know, we, we're in some serious times here. But uh, certainly, it's no different from anywhere else that people in the Bible faced. In fact, they had it a lot worse in most cases. Um, and again, Scripture has a lot of testimony to, to different people in different ways that were used by secular government. And it, Daniel was placed in a high position by Nebuchadnezzar. Again, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon was an evil empire. But yet God used it to accomplish his purpose through Daniel and to do a great work in Daniel's life. And Daniel was subject. He called King Nebuchadnezzar your majesty and things like that. Um, So he was a good citizen. Jesus himself in the book of Matthew, when he was challenged with the question, should I pay my taxes? He said, you guys remember probably what he says, some of you give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God's what is God's. He recognized that Caesar had a purpose. Caesar was there for a reason, to maintain order. Was Caesar a Christian? Was he a godly man? No, but he he had a purpose. So God uses subjection to authorities to sustain our life and protect us and maintain order. Also notice that Jesus didn't go so far as to say that he was God. He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And one more example that I thought of, there's other ones, um, a couple different times in the book of Acts, Paul kind of plays the card that he's a Roman citizen. He's like, hey, you can't treat me like this. I'm a Roman citizen. He kind of used his citizenship, and he was never condemned for that. He, he clearly um, identified as a Roman citizen in his def- in, as part of his defense. And so clearly, you know, it's clear to us in the Scripture throughout that God um, puts secular government in place for a reason. He allows it to happen. He allows the people to be in charge for a reason. You know, if Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton is in charge, God has ordained that. For whatever reason, we might not know right away, but, but God's going to work through them just like he's worked through all the people that we see in the Bible. And uh, if, you, if you look at that passage right there, um, it talks about being subject to authorities and being obedient. And that's great. We should, we should be, you know, law-abiding good people. But it goes a little bit beyond that, too. Um, we should be a model. We should be model citizens as Christians. People should look to the church for the ultimate example of, of what it is to be a good citizen and to do good. Um, be ready to do whatever's good. Uh, not, just to, not just to sit back and be obedient and sit home, but to go out and seek good things to do and to support the government to the point that it does good, not that it does evil. And to be peaceable and considerate and gentle toward everyone. Notice that there's no, it says always to be gentle toward everyone. There's, there's no qualifications on there. Just to be gentle towards the people that we agree with or just to be gentle to them sometimes. They use some very specific, very uh, strong terms. Always be gentle toward everyone. There's no exceptions. You know, if you're a hothead, there's no exception for hotheads in there. Or if you're, if you're timid and meek, 
there's no exceptions for those people either. It's everyone and always. So we're called to be good citizens, but yet more than that, to be proactive about it. What about the second section here, these, these three verses? At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We're going to talk about our second S word here, and the, the title for the sermon today is taken from these two words. I'm not sure if you can actually read that now that it's read, uh, but deceived and enslaved. And there's kind of a lot there. Um, that's a uh, those are some pretty strong words. And the words that I had, out of all the words in the passage in my Bible, those are the two that I underlined. Because I think we forget sometimes that, that people before they come to Christ are not just kind of in a neutral position. They're enslaved. It's like they're in chains. And let's look at what this means a little bit. If somebody's deceived, it implies that there's a deceiver. There's an active act, I guess, of deception going on. And it says very clearly in the Bible that Satan's a liar. In the book of John, it says uh, that when Satan lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. I have to look up here because the prince figure up here. I guess that I'm showing my age a little bit. Um, Satan just lies. That's what he does. You ever know somebody that, uh, that says things about themselves or about other people or about, the, or about life that just aren't true? That they say that, they're, that God could never love them because they're worthless or something like that. that. That doesn't just come from thin air. They're being deceived. And there's an, a person who's actively deceiving them. Well, let's, let's not forget that. And in fact, it also says that Satan's a prowler. He's not just some, some kitten in the corner. I think Pastor Tim's used that illustration before. He's not just some kitten that's passively kind of sitting back there waiting for us to, to mess up. He, he's prowling around. It says in First Peter that that he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's actively going out there trying to get you. And again, I think we kind of forget that. We just kind of assume that, that everybody who's not a Christian is just kind, of, just kind of sitting there, right? No. Uh-uh. And human beings are easily enslaved. We don't like to think that we are, but we are. And I think that part of the reason for that is because like we talked about before, throughout the last couple of years, we're created as worshipers. We're created to worship. God naturally made us to turn to him and worship. But when, we, when humanity fell into sin, we naturally have a bent to turn that towards evil things, towards things that are going to harm us. And a lot of times we don't even know that they're going to harm us. But we turn to things and we enslave ourselves to things. And that's one of the points I think this passage is trying to make. So our second S, again, if you're a note taker, fine. If you're not, you probably even pay attention to the first S. But the second S is slavery. Another position that we have to authority, but it's different from subjection. Because when you're a slave, you have a slave master, whether you realize it or not. And a slave master doesn't care about your future plans. A slave master just wants you for your work. And a slave master is going to work the life out of you. And when you think about it, there's different types of slavery. The first one that, that kind of comes to mind, the most obvious one, is physical slavery. You know, straight up slavery. Like you think about, you know, in terms of America, we have some kind of ugly images, things we kind of like to forget. We don't really like to talk about slavery here and in other countries too. And it still goes on today um, where you think about it being uh, somebody either working in a cotton field and being whipped or the modern day example of human trafficking. 
this stuff is going on in the county next door to us or in our own county, I'm sure, and, and right around Hagerstown, all up and down 81, I think, you see this kind of thing going on. It's still happening. I think people even said there's more slaves now in the world than there ever have been at any point in history. I don't know the accuracy of that, but physical slavery is pretty obvious. And it's pretty easy to get somebody to support you in, in fighting against physical slavery. I bet if you went to Hollywood right now, it wouldn't be that hard to find a celebrity that would say, hey, I'll, I'll stand with you. We, well, let's fight human trafficking. So this is an obvious one. And I think the deceiver, Satan, he likes slavery. He likes physical slavery. But I think that the more subtle things get, the more they entertain him. And we're going to look at uh, different examples of that too. Deceived and enslaved. Now you can see that our passage talks about living in malice and envy, hating and being hated and hating one another. Uh, that's one of the characteristics of life before you meet Christ. That you live in malice and envy. And you can see that pretty easily in, in this kind of picture right here. The slave and the slave master don't really have any love for each other. The slave master is just blatantly working the life out of the slave. So there's malice and envy. But what about the other kinds of slavery? What about spiritual slavery in society in general? You know, before you, before you come to Christ and accept his sacrifice, you're a slave to sin. You're enslaved. The Bible says that very clearly in many places. And in society, you see examples of that all over the place. Um, and it's not so much about malice and envy like it is with physical slavery. It's more about passions and pleasures. Because the things that will enslave you spiritually are things that feel good, right? You, you're slave to, you know, some of the big examples are drugs and alcohol and addictions like that. They're things that feel good when you start doing them, right? And people enjoy them, and then you realize later on that you're a slave to them. And then those kind of things are are obvious, and I got an example of that here. Anybody ever see pictures like this on the internet? There's actually a website this is from. I didn't look at the actual site itself. It's called Faces of Meth. It's horrible. Um, not really an entertaining site to go to, I, I imagine, but you can see the picture on the left and the picture on the right. It's the same person. Uh, it's only two and a half years from one picture to the other. It looks more like 20. Um, this, this person, this lady, made herself a slave to meth. She turned towards meth for pleasure, and, and it clearly is a slave master to her. It clearly has worked life out of her. And again, it's, this is spiritual slavery, and it's not just a blatant example. And again, it wouldn't be hard to get somebody in Hollywood or wherever to be in a crusade with you against methamphetamine. It's, not, it's obvious that that's bad. That's a bad thing. But what about if you get into more, more subtle spiritual sins. What if you start talking about greed or sexual immorality? It gets harder to get support for those things or about, um, you know, abortion, things like that. The more subtle they get, the harder it is to get support from society and the, and the more Satan likes it. Because these people in this picture might be just as deceived and enslaved as the woman on meth. Um, and this one just happened to have a statistic with, I don't know if this is really true or not, but it says 78% of travelers say they wouldn't trade their family vacation for anything. For anything. That's quite a statement when you really think about it. Now, now we're planning our family vacation for this summer, so I don't want to say that that's a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with that. 
But if your family vacation every year is what you live for, if that's your end goal in life, if pleasure and having a good time is all that you seek, if that's, that's your purpose, then you're deceived. You know, our purpose that we profess here at this church is that, you know, our goal is to glorify God by being disciple-making disciples. That's clearly not seeking pleasure. There's pleasurable things to, to be had there, but there's a higher goal that we have. And yet, you know, this family, they might be, you know, having a good time with multiple generations. I'm sure they love each other. I'm sure they're trying to do good things. They're nice people. But yet they might be just as deceived as this lady. And they don't even realize it. That's the thing. This is obvious. This maybe not so much. And I think the more subtle it gets, again, Satan, Satan thinks it's funnier. I think this is entertaining to him to know that these people, if they don't know Christ, he's still working the life out of them just as much as the lady on meth or just as much as whoever else. Here's another kind of spiritual slavery. And again, the, the, the further we get down the list, the more Satan is, is gleeful about this. And the spiritual slavery in church. Now, you notice I didn't say spiritual slavery in the church, in the capital C church. Because if you're a Christian, if you're a believer this morning, you, you believe that Christ has made a sacrifice for you and taken away your sin. You have the Holy Spirit who's pouring life into you. We're going to get into that. I'm talking about spiritual slavery in churches. And you think about Sunday morning. There's millions of people all across America and across the world who are sitting in churches just like we are. And it kind of begs the question, what are they doing there? Uh, here's a question for everybody here. Why are you here this morning? If you're here to, to, to worship the Lord and to learn more about him and to fellowship with, with believers, that's, that's great to find out more about who we are as a church. Wonderful. Or if you're not a believer and you want to find out more about how to do that, amazing. That's great. We're glad you're here. But, you know, if you're here this morning because you think that going to church is one of those good things you can do to earn favor with God, you're deceived. You're just as deceived as that lady who, who was on meth. Or if you think that you can, you know, give some money to the church or, or work in a homeless shelter or something like that, and that, again, is going to add more things to your good column, that's clearly not, not it. You're deceived and you're enslaved. You're enslaved by that. In fact, you know, um, <clears throat> it talks about this in the passage right here. If you believe that righteous things that you can do can earn you merit with God, that's wrong. Uh, the Bible says that thing is like filthy rags. Those, those good things that we do are great if they're a product of our faith, but if they're a substitute for our faith, they're worthless. In fact, this is, of all the pictures I'm going to show you this morning, this is Satan's favorite. He thinks this is hilarious because there's families out there who are sitting in church pews or pew chairs just like we are and if they don't know the Lord if they haven't turned their lives over to him and if they're just sitting, sitting in a chair as a reason to feel good and a reason to kind of earn, earn merit with God that's the, the saddest picture of all because Satan has whispered that lie to them that that's going to earn them a place in God's favor he's working the life out of them just as much as anybody else that I've shown you this morning and they don't even feel it because it's just so subtle and that's what he likes the most. <clears throat> but there's good news. Because this is kind of depressing so far, right? Um, the good news is the gospel. And this is actually a pretty good, pretty good synopsis of the gospel right here in three verses. 
that when the love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So our third S this morning is sonship. I don't know that that's an actual word anywhere but the Bible because spell, spell check didn't really like that. But uh, um, you can also say daughtership, but that doesn't start with S. So there you go. There's sonship is our third S this morning. And here's the difference. A slave master works the life out of you, but if you're a son of God or a daughter of God, God pours life into you as a son or a daughter. There's a clear difference. Here's another uh, passage where Paul's talking to another church in Romans. Uh, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, There's that word, sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So there's that word again like we had in Titus, an heir. An heir is somebody who's a part of the family, right? Even if you're not naturally born of the family, you can be adopted in and become an heir. You can earn an inheritance. Our inheritance, if you're a believer, is eternal life. And we're, we're adopted by God. Um, and so he's not a slave master. And one of the neat things, too, is one of my favorite things about this passage in particular, he's given more detail about what he's talking about, being a child of God and not a slave. But also he uses the word Abba. Um, I think this is a really neat word. It's not, not that Abba right there. Okay, different Abba. Sorry, Sanford, I'm sure you're a big fan. Um, But it's this Abba. Abba means father in Aramaic. Um, I'm not an Aramaic scholar. I don't pretend to be an expert in it. But from my understanding, it's the the most intimate word for father. They have multiple words, I think, for father. But this is the one that a little kid would say with his dad. And uh, if you think about the first word that most babies say in English, it's probably dada, right? It's easiest to say. That's what they always tell you. Um, And it's probably the same thing with Abba. It's just Abba. Probably any baby could say that pretty easily. Um, But that's the kind of relationship that that God has for us. And that's why it's so beautiful that Paul used that word. Because God becomes like our daddy. He's not a slave master at all. He's somebody that we can crawl up into his lap. And um, become an heir. And I think the most beautiful example of this is a story that Jesus told himself. And I think it's really neat that it, um, it was a parable. It wasn't some story that he just heard from a family down the street or something like that. It's a story of the lost son. If you think about that, you know, there was a wealthy landowner and he had two sons and one of them got his inheritance early and took it out and spent it on wild living on women and and all kinds of crazy stuff, and just blew it all quickly. And he um, got to the point where he's like, you know what, this is, this is ridiculous. 
I don't have anything left. I'm just going to go back to my father and present myself to him as a slave or a servant. Maybe I can work for him at least and still kind of be around. And so he goes back home. And while he's still uh, coming up the driveway, his dad sees him and his dad runs to him. This dignified landowner gathers up his robes and runs to this boy. And he tries to, the boy tries to present himself as a slave. He's like, no, you're my son. Let's have a party. Put a robe on him, put a ring on his finger, and they celebrated. And that's what God does for us. That's why I think it's so neat that Jesus told that parable because he knows the father intimately. And he knows exactly what his relationship should be to us and what he wants it to be. And it's a dad who runs to us. We might come to him as a slave. He sees us and we present ourselves to him as slaves to sin. And he runs to us like this picture is. Somebody made this neat painting of, of this father running towards his son. And it's such a beautiful thing. And it's something I want you all to hear this morning because I think this passage does a really good job of pointing us to it. Is that we're no longer slaves. We don't have to be a slave to these things that enslave us and we might not even realize it. And if you're here this morning and you haven't done that, you haven't presented yourself as a slave to God and and tired of slavery, if you've realized that, hey, I'm deceived by Satan, I'm a slave to sin, I don't want to do this anymore, he'll run to you. And if you haven't done that, then, then I'd be happy to pray with you. I'm sure Pastor Tim would too. But thank God that he's provided his son because because of the sin in our lives, we're eternally separated from God. And the only thing that will remedy that is somebody has to die. And he sent Jesus to die for us. And if we're willing to believe that and to turn from our sin and humbly present ourselves to him, he'll adopt us as his children. So again, if you, if you would like to make that change in your life, if you want to turn your life over to, to Jesus and become God's child. Come talk to us afterwards. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you so much for sending us your son. And we just praise you for the the new life and the victory over death that we celebrated last week on Easter. And we thank you for your word that teaches us about how we're slaves before we know you and how you can set us free and make us your children. And Lord, if there's anybody here who, who is deceived and enslaved and, and sitting here in church to try to earn your favor, Lord, I ask that you'd work in their heart and just make it clear to them that they need to, to come to you. And just, we ask that you would help us to see those around us this week who are, who are deceived. We, may have just, we might have just thought of them as being in a neutral position towards you, but, but they're really in chains, Father. Help us to see those people around us and to take action. And I ask that you go with us now and uh, give us a, a good rest of the day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.